views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I'm Daniel Metz. And I'm Robert Long. And this is The Daniel Metz Show, broadcasting on WBCQ. Quote, I saw you at the beer store, and to me you're taking back what looked like, in my opinion, an excessive amount of bottles, stated a police officer to a 70-year-old man he pulled over around noon last Saturday in Mississauga, Ontario. Have you been drinking? The man indicated that he had not, that he had just been returning his holiday empties, and the officer requested a breath sample. The man asked what would happen if he did not provide one and was informed that he would face arrest, a criminal charge, and a license suspension. Oh, and a mandatory minimum $2,000 fine for refusing the test. This is part of Bill C-46, an amendment to the Canadian Criminal Code that came into effect on December 18, 2018. Police in Canada now have the authority to pull you over and demand a breathalyzer test without that bothersome probable cause. And not only do they no longer need a reasonable suspicion of impairment to pull you over, another section of the legislation states that any driver, quote, commits an offence who has within two hours after ceasing to operate a motor vehicle is still over the legal alcohol limit. This change in legislation is, in theory, in order to override the bolus drinking or last drink defence, where a person who drank just before the test may blow over the limit, but the alcohol had yet to be absorbed into the system. Therefore, the level of their impairment may be in question. So the police have the authority to stalk you outside of the beer store, to show up at the bar or restaurant you drove to, or even pay a visit to your home, and demand that you provide a breath sample, charge you with a mandatory 2000 fine if you refuse, or charge you with drunk driving if you blow over the limit, even if you weren't drunk when you were driving and had no intention of driving while impaired. And the onus is on you to prove your innocence. So, Robert, can you say police state? Well, I don't know that we're there yet. I mean, historically and geographically, I think if you look around the world, we're still a pretty darn good country to live (laughs) in. But this could very well be the thin edge of the wedge. As a matter of fact, I think the thin edge of the wedge has already been poked into our our rights. I'm, I'm going back to 1985 when I first heard that the Supreme Court of Canada allowed the RIDE program. Now, the RIDE program in Canada for our American listeners and uh, listeners around the world is uh, Reduce Impaired Driving Everywhere. It was a program set up, I believe, by Mothers Against Drunk Driving in this country. Otherwise known as MAD. MAD, yeah. And uh, in other words, a lobby group of of mothers who, of course, were concerned about the people uh, and their family being killed by drunk drivers on the road. Uh, a terrible scourge, obviously, but I looked at it, and from the point of view of the law, it does seem to be rather draconian that prior to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and prior to the 1985 decision of the Supreme Court, which upheld the ride program, a police officer had to have reasonable grounds to detain you. In other words, pull you over. You would see it in all of the movies um, of the era, I pulled you over because you have a broken light. I pulled you over because you went over the center line. I pulled you over because you were going too fast. They had to justify why they pulled you over. Exactly. There had to be a reason. Right. Now, the ride program is arbitrary detention. It is, I'm pulling you over because I'm pulling you over. I want to test you to see if you've been drinking or impaired, even though you may have been driving perfectly. Mm -hmm. And the ride program is usually set up like the police uh, make a checkpoint like over in the Soviet Union or in East Germany. They do it in front of my house quite often when they have uh, hockey games downtown. Uh, 
because I'm on a main thoroughfare. They right in front of the house and it backs up traffic forever. And we yes. are, we're bottlenecked. There's nowhere to turn off. So you, if you see a ride program, you, you're drunk, you turn off, but True. not where I live because there's nowhere to go. Right. So they love my area. <laughs> and of course, it's strategically set up for that reason. They're stopping a person. They don't know who the person is. Nope. Okay, so it is a random check to see that you've been, uh, you're under the limit of 0. 0.08 that was shown by the Supreme Court to be constitutional because, unfortunately for us, four out of the seven Supreme Court justices said that it's important enough. In common law and in statute law, you have to show that what you're doing is for the safety or security of society or the people, right? And they said that this is this meets that test. Three of the judges dissented and they had great arguments for showing that, no, this is a, a direct violation of their rights not to be arbitrarily detained and searched, which is basically what a breath test is. And I would agree with them. Unfortunately, it's now the law of the land that they can have the ride program. Now, this goes a step further. And this goes further. even further. And it's odd that it went under the radar because this particular bill, CC46, brought in and passed by the liberal government. Of course. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, there's not one conservative member who voted in, in favor of this. It was all liberals and a few NDP and the Bloc Québécois. This came and passed, I believe it was last June, but nobody seemed to realize that the implication of this yep. two-hour two hour window. window would mean that, okay, I'm finished driving, but now there's a cop at my door two hours later, and hey, I just sat down and I had a few beer. Mm-hmm. You answer the door... He says, "Give me a breath test." You you take the breath test, and you're and you're drunk. And it's now the cop. The cop says, "Well, then you were drunk when you were driving, and it's up to you now to say, say that, that you you, were... you proved to me that you were drinking these here." Yep. Right. In other words, you have to have witnesses, video evidence. I don't know what, but it's absolutely draconian in that sense. Now, mind you, in the criminal code, section two fifty three, sub uh, section four, it gives the exception. You can't be charged if you imbibed within those two hours while not driving. In other words, you were in this situation. But it doesn't say that the onus is on the police or you to prove that you had taken those drinks after driving. So it's obvious that the onus is on you to prove your innocence, which, of course, I think this is going to fail a constitutional oh, challenge. Oh, yeah. I, that, that, I read a bunch of um, lawyers' opinion pieces, and they basically said, well, hopefully you're not the one that becomes the test case because <laughs> it's going to suck. But once this gets to the Supreme Court level or even just the higher court, the chances are it'll be struck down because it's just, it's too, I and mean, it gives the police too much power. Now they can just pull you over whenever. But it's the stalking. And, of and the stalking, yeah. Like my husband delivers for a living and he delivers primarily alcohol. And so he's got empties in the vehicle all the time and stuff like that. So he's going to the beer store constantly. So he's going to be pulled over by the police all the time. They just randomly pull him over and go, well, we just saw that you took back 12 cases of beer and we think that's excessive. And then you're also giving the police the power to determine what is excessive. Well, you don't like that you took back that amount of bottles at the same time. You must be an alcoholic. Well, no, there's reasons. A lot of people stockpile them, a lot of people. And even so, hmm. none of your business. <laughs> And, and then we get into your rights as a citizen when it deals with um, the police. You don't have to say anything to the police except identify yourself if, if asked and to obey any um, obvious instructions for, like, stand over here. Mm. You know. Keep your hands where I can see them. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Those are legitimate things that the police can order to you, you to do and you should That's obey. for everybody's safety as well of most course. of the times. 
But you don't have to talk to the police. You don't have to say anything. Have you been drinking, sir? You don't have to answer. But, but they can make you now take the breathalyzer, so... Yes, yeah, step out of the car and blow into this. Okay, that's not a problem, do it. But you don't have to say anything. You don't have to answer the door to the police. If I knew I'd been drinking in that two-hour window after I got home and because of these laws in place, if I hear a knock on the door, I'm looking out the window if I see a cup there. Sorry, I'm a sleeper. I'm not home. <laughs> yep. You don't have to answer the door. You don't have to talk to them. And it's. I think that you're not going to find many cases where the police are going to be knocking on people's doors and people are uh, going to be subjected to a breathalyzer test in their home because the home is a different area or a different realm when it comes to the law. It is, while your it's castle? not, this isn't Florida, it is not your castle. <laughs> <laughs> However, it is your home and that um, holds a special place in Canadian law and common law where the police, if they do not, if they're not invited in, or if they don't have a warrant or a reasonable uh, reason to go in there, for example, hot pursuit, then they cannot enter your home. And I think that people should be instructed and educated to their rights in this country. That's one of the not. things that they're really missing. And especially when this um, this bill came into pass, no one informed or educated the, the public what that entailed. Like nobody knew um, that you couldn't refuse the breathalyzer, that you get charged and fined. Well, according to the CBC, um, the police here in London, they stop 20,000 cars annually. And they lay about 400 impaired driving charges, which is like 2% of the people that they stop. That seems to me to be a very small amount of people. I think this is mainly political. It certainly is the Liberal government. Again, virtue signaling. See what we're doing to, to secure your safety. We're giving the police more powers now to stalk you and, and yeah, to violate. stamp out uh, Violate that your rights. Well, the Supreme Court of Canada actually basically said that this is a violation of your rights. But we'll allow it. But we'll allow it because it's important. When, when people look at this and it goes to the Supreme Court as it eventually will, unfortunately it takes years for yep. that process to happen, the appeals process and all that kind of stuff, absolutely years if not decades, then it will be struck down. But that's no guarantee because remember they allowed the ride program. Exactly. So, but back to your very first question about police state, you know, that got me thinking, well, what is a police state? And even though this is perhaps one characteristic, I mean, it made you think of police state, one characteristic of a police state is the arbitrary detention of citizens and their arbitrary search and seizure, uh, in this case, uh, having to commit to a, submit to a breathalyzer test. That is a, uh, a, a characteristic of a police state, isn't it? When the, the legislators are dictating to the subjects <laughs> you know, it, regardless of common law, regardless of 800 years of common law and people being able to go about their business without these kinds of intrusions, um, they are now instructing the police to do these kinds of things. So while it's certainly, we're, this is certainly not... Um, um, not Soviet Chau Russia? <laughs> Soviet Russia or Ceausescu territory. It is um, part of it. Yes, because it is one aspect of it. And once you give away that one aspect and the next aspect goes away that much easier. It's, I don't want to use a slippery slope argument, but that's pretty much once you get used to these kind of intrusions. And everybody always says, oh, if you didn't do anything wrong, it's not going to affect you. That's not an argument, no, and I hate that argument. Um, that's an argument you can use in Soviet Russia. That's an argument you can use in North Korea. Yeah. You know, so it's not an argument. It's a defense of totalitarianism. That's what that is. And yeah, I as long as you're the perfect citizen, you have nothing to fear. Yeah, and I, when I hear about this particular law, I also hearken back to the time when Justin Trudeau 
uh, on the hustings said that he admired communist China because they're totalitarian and they can get things they done. They can turn their economy around on a dime. Yeah. So, and, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that this may not have been turning it around on a dime, and it went through a parliamentary process, and he does have a majority democratically elected, even though only by 26% of eligible voters. It's certainly not a uh, winning endorsement by the Canadian people. But I think to be a police state, or, or not to be a police state, I mean, you have, we have to think about what it is. I, a free country needs police. There's no question about it. But the police have to be acting on behalf of a, of a government that, is, that has implemented laws judiciously and objectively and are there to protect your individual rights. And to that extent, the police are, are, are welcome at my door. You know? yeah. But when the legislatures are creating laws, such as hate speech laws, or laws that says that the police can come and, and take a breathalyzer, you know, hours after I've been driving. Those are not objective, reasonable laws. And now the police have become um, suspicious in my mind. Exactly. Because now they're acting on behalf of a state and a legislature that is capricious in its laws. It's creating an, an atmosphere of fear and the, a division between the police and the people they're supposed to serve and protect. Now they become the enemy to the people that they're supposed to serve and protect. That is, and that's going to be what people think. Exactly. And that is perhaps the the worst outcome that this kind of legislation is going to um, have on, on Canadians is that they now will distrust the police because now that they're, they're the arm, more or less, of a liberal government. You know, even though that this law may still be on the books when a conservative government comes into power, they probably won't repeal it. I mean, conservative governments in the past don't repeal squat. Governments don't ever give toadies. up power. Yeah. So, however, we'll see. We'll see. But that's that's the worst that this particular piece of legislation is doing is it's turning the people against the police. And that's that's terrible. I agree. Well, on that happy, cheerful note, take care, behave yourself, and don't answer the door when the police knock. Cheers. If you've enjoyed this presentation, visit www.justrightmedia.org for more programming that's not right-wing, it's just right.